Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid-lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozemet, mom to two boys, a former middle school teacher, a homeschooler, and a writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 24. The episode in which we talk about prepping, <laughs> you know, for the end of the world as we know it. Um, <laughs> Heather, you know, you just admit it. You watch the prepper shows, don't you? Oh, my gosh. You got me. You know you, you do. Me. <laughs> and that's why you bought that new property, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're a doomsday prepper. Just say it. I got my bug out bag. We're going to the property. No. <laughs> I totally want to make a bug out bag after reading these books. I know. So I have to say, though, my husband and I used to love watching those prepping shows. I love them. I do, too. My kids and I watch them. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, though, there was one that really got me, and then I kind of couldn't watch them for fun anymore. It was like the saddest episode, and I probably shouldn't even share it, but it was so sad. There was this elderly couple who was retired, not like old, old, but, you know, retired age. No one's old, old anymore once you hit 50. Like, no, they're not really that old. (laughs) You have to be like a hundred before. Like, yeah, you have to be like in your nineties <laughs> for me to consider you old now. <laughs> uh, they had been prepping, and of course, they were like full blown. Like they had a semi trailer hidden somewhere in an undisclosed location that right? was covered in like camo and the whole thing. And they were really into it, and they were on one of those TV shows. And then the wife got diagnosed with like stage four cancer and went, and like, I don't know, I can't remember if she like actually died before the episode, they finished recording the episode or what, but it was like the saddest, most heartbreaking thing. Cause I was like, they could have been spending all their time and money, like traveling and having yes. fun together and enjoying their retirement instead of worrying about the end of, I mean, let's face it, death got her anyway. Like right. what are they and, running and from? She didn't even get to use like her MREs, like her no. fake meals. And she didn't even get to like dress in her like ghillie suit and everything for the end of the world. Poor thing. I, I know it made me so sad. So then I couldn't really watch it for fun anymore. But I have to say, like, I get it. Like people who do it for like a hobby or for fun. It's crazy, though. It's still I, crazy. It's <laughs> nuts. Come on, let's admit it. It is insanity. <laughs> First of all, if it's the end of the world as we know it, and those are the people that I'm going to be left with, I'm running towards the bomb. I'm going. <laughs> if the asteroid's coming, you'll find me at Dunkin' Donuts. I'll be there with a cup of joe. And I'll be waiting for it because I do not want to be left with all those people eating like out of tin cans. Come on. You could be shoveling your face full of donuts that you haven't had for like five years. Take up smoking or something (laughs) like that. Maybe I could, you know, I don't know, whatever I need to do to kind of enjoy those last few minutes while it's hurtling towards earth. Because I'm not going to be left with Larry down the street who's got his bunker. I'm not staying there. No. Okay. Well, I have to say, like, the one thing I like about some of it, okay, again, we don't know when we're going to die. So let's not try to worry about that. But like um, the survivalist stuff, like teaching your kids, like it's a kind of a nice bonding experience, right? Yes, I agree. I agree. If you treat it like a bonding experience versus like we're all going to die in a fiery end of the world explosion, unless you're prepared. I mean, come on. It doesn't need to be a lifestyle. It's something you can do on, you know, like there's a homeschool group here that does that, that like they have survival classes, like how to build a fire in the woods when you don't have any supplies. That stuff makes good sense. Like what plants are edible? Stuff exactly. Like I took one of those in Jersey once and it was kind of like we like hiked around these parks in Jersey and we uh-huh. made tea out of these things and we ate out of these things. And then the whole time I'm thinking, but we're in Jersey. Is any of this really good? <laughs> we're still in Jersey, like the toilet bowl of America. God love it. I know. God knows I'm a, I love Jersey, but oh, 
really? there might be some chemicals in there that are probably not weird, good. Yeah, there could be some, you know, some dead bodies floating around in the where we got the moss, but who knows? <laughs> but you know, like stuff like too, like how to find make water drinkable or and you know, stuff yeah, well, like that. Please, we know. get that at dinner every night with my husband. Oh, right. That's <laughs> true. the water engineer. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to know everything about water, listen to the previous episode on water warriors. Right. I don't know. I my biggest question is. If the end of the world is coming and we are all prepping, why do we need so many guns? That's what right. I think every time I, I watch know. those shows. And I'm like, do we need all these guns? Who are you going to I kill? don't. I'll be like, I'll be doing a Laura Ingalls thing myself. Oh, yeah. I'll be living off like woodland creatures and berries. And I'm not, you know. Well, that's the thing, too, I think about a lot. Like, if it's just a matter of, like, the power grid going down, I'm like, you know, people live that way for a long time. Right. <laughs> so in other countries, that's how they live. Yeah. So like, if you can't survive that, come on. <laughs> and plus, we do have solar energy, you know, right. you can make your own solar panels with photovoltaic cells, right? I, I like the survival aspect of it. But the doomsday prepper part that gets me. Yeah, but I gotta say it is, it is entertaining to watch. And some of the stuff when you watch those shows, some of the stuff that they're prepping for, is that even possible? Is it really that we're gonna like, no, we're not gonna get a solar flare that's gonna knock out this or that and I'm or what was it was like um I watched one where the banks were all gonna crash and I'm like okay like yeah. really you can't still go to the to the shop right and get what you need you know I'm sure there's a way to work around this but okay right like trade has been one of the oldest economies so I know but I think humanity as we learned in one of our books humanity gets pretty vile when things go wrong oh well we saw that during the pandemic too <laughs> One of the books made me think of the first thing I always think of when prepping. So we'll save it for that conversation. But I guess we could get started. You want to get started? We can't. Any news in your neck of the woods? Not really. What about you? Do you have anything you wanted to share before we get started? We're going, P.S., this is exciting. We're going back home to Philly tomorrow to see all the fams and all the aunties and everything. Because after 10 years... And three states, four homes, and an extra kid. My husband's finally finished his master's degree. Wow. <laughs> so he's going to graduate from Villanova. Be for Villanova, just like me. So now we have two Villanova alums in the house. And um, we can't afford to send our children to Villanova because of that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go celebrate the old Turk. It'll be good. I'm, pr- I'm very, very proud of him. It's really hard. It was hard to go to grad school when I was of that age, like of the age mm-hmm. of going to grad school. And well, you did it too. You you went yeah. to grad school with a family as an as a grown up. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard to do the work like outside of class. But I did love going to class because it was sort of like a mom's day out kind of thing. Yeah. Like, ooh, I get to go out. You know, there was a group of us that would have like one drink after class at the local pub. Yeah, that was kind of fun. But the rest of it, well, he's not on location either, so that's not the same experience. No. I think it's also different too for him because the professor would be like, in the real world, you're going to do this, this, and this. And he's like, literally, I've been in the real world doing this job for 20 years. You're not going to do that, kids. (laughs) That's not how it works. But okay. All right. Believe the guy. You know, it's so funny because you do realize when you go back and you're an older person going back, you're like, yeah, a lot of the people that teach you haven't worked in that field for so long that they really don't have a full grasp of what's happening you know, like how things actually function. Anyway, so it's exciting. I'm excited to go back and the boys are, I'm just going to stuff my face full of hoagies and water ice and all the good things that are there. Isn't that funny? Like you have, you have home associations like with food, you have certain associations. Oh, for sure. Anyway, that's our news. That's all that's new here. And we've been reading a lot of books and just 
waiting for the weather to finally kick. It's still so cold here. (laughs) You know, Indiana weather ups and downs because we've had beautiful days and we've had snow, then we've had frost and then we have beautiful days again. So I'm just waiting for it to level out. That'll be nice. Yeah, we're still cold, but ah, well, that's New England. Oh my God, we're talking about the weather like a couple of old ladies. I know next (laughs) it'll be like, you know, my besides is acting up. Oh God, it's killing me. Every time the clouds roll in, I'm like, honey, get me the ice pack. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess we should start, right? Yeah, let's get started. All right, let's dig into this first one. The first book that we uh, read was The World Ends in April by Stacey McAnulty. We are both now, as we texted each other many times during the course of reading this, we're now super fans of Stacey McAnulty. I'm sorry, Stacey, if you're listening. When we become a super fan, that means you get put on the Franzia list, (laughs) where someday we're going to show up on your front yard with a box of Franzia, and we're just going to sit there and clap for you as you come in and out and say, hey, girl, hey, we're proud of you. Love you. You're on the Franzia list. Welcome. Welcome aboard. We like Rosé. Yes. So her first book that we read was The Miscalculations of Lightning Girl. And we talked about that in episode 15. And we both loved that one way back in January. This one is the follow-up, right? Yeah, this is her second book. So tell us about it. What do you got? All right. One of the things I love about her is she has a super talent for writing realistic fiction that really grabs kids' attention. Kids, my butt. Me too. Oh, I yeah. You can't put it down. I mean, you don't know why. That's what we were talking about. Like, you get sucked in and you don't under... like what is she doing that's making me so engaged? And it just feels like a normal day in the life of these kids. But It does. And they're interesting kids. And you don't even like realistic fiction. So that's really saying something. That's true. I never yeah. really thought about that. You're right. Yeah. I mean, but she always includes these activities that are so perfect for like middle school kids and adults like us. Yeah. <laughs> but like in Miscalculations of Lightning Girl, they volunteer at a shelter for dogs, which is so wonderful. And like in this book, The World Ends in April, the kids start a nature club that's more about <laughs> survivalist stuff. And I mean, that's so fun. We were just talking about how interesting all that survivalist stuff is and like it's perfect for middle kid middle grade kids that's like right up their alleys anyway the world ends in april was released in september 2019 is about eleanor dross and she's a middle grader with sort of a kooky survivalist grandfather i love him i love grandpa i know who's been training her uh, for the end of end times or the end of the world or whatever since she was little and so he has a stockpile of supplies and he made bug out bags for <laughs> her and her brothers and all this kind of stuff and eleanor has gotten an age where she thinks all this is kind of a little bit stupid but she then reads online about a harvard scientist who is predicting that an asteroid will hit the earth in in April. At first, she thinks kind of blows it off like it's not really a big deal. But then she starts to research the scientist and discovers he was from Harvard and sort of starts to believe it and gets starts to get a little bit worried about it. And but she realizes like her family's prepared, but her friends aren't. And Eleanor is particularly worried about her best friend Mac. He's a blind kid, such a cool kid. Oh my God. Everyone loves Mac. All the reviews, yeah. everybody's like, I love Mac. I'd like another book about Mac. Me too. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was a really cool kid, wise beyond beyond his years, I would say. And the two of them have been inseparable since kindergarten. So she talks to him about the asteroid, and then he starts to kind of worry, wonder about like, well, their classmates don't know either. And so he pushes her to form a secret club to teach others like the survival skills that she knows. And then another girl, London, he who joins the club, also pushes Eleanor to create this anonymous newsletter to inform everyone at school about the asteroid. And it's it's kind of interesting because all the kids that eventually join the group sort of have their own different motivations. Uh-huh. They have different levels of taking the whole thing seriously. Some of them are just there for fun. Some of them are there seriously. Even London, obviously, we kind of find out that she's sort of doing this like as a way to scare people. She thinks that's kind of funny. Kind of for her. revenge. Yeah. yeah. And then we eventually learn why Max is doing it too, because he is going to end up going to a different school, a school for blind and leaving Eleanor alone at the school where for she's been struggling. Time. Yeah. And she's been struggling anyway in middle grade. And so, yeah, everyone sort of has a different level. But then, of course, as the asteroid event as the event gets closer then Eleanor starts to take it way more seriously and she really has a lot of anxiety about it and is worried about her family and her friends and and also this underlying anxiety she's having about being left behind by Mac um really seeps into the whole thing so I know don't give any more I know I'm like I I don't want to it's really hard not to give any spoilers on these I know I probably have already given too much away but I just think it's so interesting because okay First of all, if you're looking for an apocalyptic story, this is not it. This book is realistic fiction, and it's more about the struggles of friendship and fitting in a middle grade and the anxiety that can induce. Well, and just also like being sucked in so easily to something on the internet. I thought that was really huge. Yes. I thought the fantastic thing about this book is instead of just telling kids you have to have reliable sources, da 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 da, like this really shows them what can happen to you. Yes. When you don't have reliable sources. And Eleanor really felt like it was a reliable source in a way because she did her a little bit of homework on it. But obviously she also wanted to believe it in a way. I mean, she kind of got sucked in this horrible place of wanting it to be true so that she's mm-hmm. right. And then also not wanting it to be true because obviously it's a horrible event where people would die. So it's like this horrible place to be in. And plus also the worry that it brings on. Just one quick thing on that topic though, before you move on at the end of the book, I love that there's like a a nice thick appendix of like background information to kind of like about how the probability of a meteorite hitting and like when that's happened before and how that's affected things, just sort of explaining some of the things to kind of put anybody's mind at ease, how to build a bug out bag and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But there's also like a nice chunk on how to, determine a legitimate source these kids get this not trust me i've been in the school system for 100 years these kids get this night and day about what is a reliable source what is a legitimate source how do we know who to trust they don't pay any attention so it's it's nice to see that at the end that it's like hey before you start believing everything that you see on the internet it very much mirrors that sort of like you know all of these parents in their 70s and 80s that are so sucked in and believing everything that comes on to Fox News, kind of like because they want it to be true, much like Eleanor is believing what she sees online because she wants it to be true, you know? Right. It would make things easier for her life if it were true. She wouldn't be the fool. Yeah, it's one of those terrible things that that believing in stuff like that puts you in one of those terrible positions of wanting to be proven right, but yet also at the same time not wanting it to be true. Kind of how that whole QAnon thing happened. (laughs) 
Seriously. It is. It's it's this weird need to be right. And you get so far in. And that's exactly what happened to Eleanor. You know, she's so far into this that she has to believe it because she can't she can't change the path now. You literally get so deep into, I guess that's, I listen to a lot of QAnon things (laughs) because I'm fascinated with cults and I'm fascinated with QAnon. And I listen to all these podcasts that are like trying to expose, like how did it form and all that kind of stuff, because that's what happens to those people. They get so deep. They have drunk so much Kool-Aid that they have to believe it because if they stop believing it, then they look like an idiot. Right. I mean, that was sort of like the relationship between Eleanor and her father. Like her father's like, it's, it's not true. All he needed her to do was just stop believing it and everything would be fine in their lives. Uh, he was great though. He was yeah, so he was. well written because he's still like his father is the one who's the crazy prepper. I was a little disappointed that we didn't like kind of delve more into the mother being dead. I felt like that played into a lot of things that were happening with Eleanor too. Yeah. Worrying about her family. Yeah. And being actually the mother figure to her little brothers. I would have liked to know a little bit more about all that. But I feel like the way he did things in the book, I I could tell this is so, this is wrong. This is so wrong to say this, but I was like, oh yeah, this was written by a woman because the way he did it is the way that a mother would handle it. Or a man that has been put into that role of mother and thinks more about the nurturing side of things mm-hmm. to, to kind of help her get through this as opposed to this, we're just going to do what it is. He was a great character though. I, I have to say, I really love the dad. I totally understood him. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to point out to you that Eleanor I know some people in the reviews and stuff didn't particularly like her character, but I think she's amazing because first of all, here's the thing. She is flawed. She was struggling to make friends, but not in a typical middle grade story kind of way. She wasn't bullied. She wasn't Mm -hmm. like different or set apart somehow. She was the one that was kind of pushing people away before they could get to know her. And she was kind of judging others before they could judge her, which I found that so refreshing and interesting and very authentic and really more complicated than how middle grade characters usually are. And I just... I loved her. I really loved her for that because I thought there are kids like that. She's got up her protective walls. Yeah. And I think that's probably more common than not in middle grade. But a lot of times um, books are sort of written to cater to those kids where, yeah, no, it's the bully's fault. You know what I'm saying? Like, and this is how you deal with bullies. It's never, oh, you know what? This might be your fault. (laughs) Yeah. And that's Mac was so great because Mac's the king of like pointing that out to her all the time. Yeah. Are you sure this isn't you? You know, like uh, he was really play the devil's advocate in a really great way. And I thought it was kind of cool too, because it showed how much he did understand her and how much he cared about her. Cause he was trying to make her realize that she was creating her own problems so that she would be okay when he left. I don't know. I know that she put some readers off because she was like the sort of flawed character, but I loved it. I thought it was really important and really cool that Stacey McAnally kind of took that angle because that's a challenge to write that kind of character. I just really enjoyed it. I also think this book got some mixed reviews because people had their own expectations going in. Yep. Like they thought it was an apocalyptic book and expected something, you know, apocalyptic to happen, which that's not fair because this book is not that. It's realistic fiction. And it's really more the story of... It's a coming of age, really. Authentic middle grade coming of age story and set in realistic fiction. I also think that this whole idea of kind of 
looking at this whole strange, bizarre culture of being doomsday preppers from the eyes of a middle school kid is really creative. It's really fresh. It's Mm -hmm. really new. And from a girl, you know, not only that, but from a girl, because boys have always kind of liked that, you know, like Hatchet and all Mm -hmm. of those. We've had a million of these books where boys survive in the woods by themselves or boys have been preparing to survive in the woods by themselves, but not so much this angle. I think it was a really nice, fresh angle. Mm -hmm. I think it is something that a lot of us are fascinated with. And that's what she said at the end. Like, I'm fascinated by this concept. So I wanted to kind of dive into it from a character perspective. Mm -hmm. And it was really creative. It was just a a fresh idea. That's, I guess, what it is. It's a really fresh idea. And I can't help it. Like, I'm reading this the whole time. That stupid Chinese rocket is like, they're waiting for it to (laughs) land. And I'm like, I'm going to need this to happen. One of of two things. Either the book has to stop or I have to get the Chinese rocket to land because I'm not sure where to go with this right now <laughs> it's a little bit too much <laughs> I, know, and I was like watching the news watching the news. it's so funny though because we read so much mm-hmm. and you and I read we we read for school we read for the for the podcast and then we just read because we're dorks and um these two books have stuck with me so much yeah. sometimes they make your thinking kind of shift like yesterday I was out hiking the bogs with a friend of mine and I kept looking around I'm like this is kind of like that book 96 miles when they were just walking in the sand and I got sand in my shoes and I'm like got sand in my throat I'm like I feel like the boys in that book and then there's like a it's hard to explain but there's bog sheds like one of the bog sheds was like oh, dilapidated yeah. or something you know where the it's like a pump house for the bogs when they flood the bogs blah 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 cranberry knowledge but it was all dilapidated and everything and I'm like oh yeah what if it got hit by a meteorite really both of these books for whatever reason maybe it's just because my mind is destroyed I don't know but um they really stuck and that that kind of post-apocalyptic survivalist thing really sticks Mm -hmm. in your head and I, I love that that says a lot about a book to me and especially when it's a book written for kids if this is sticking in my old brain that's going to stay with them. Yeah. And I, I think it's a great, it's a great like mark of success. Both of these books had some pretty solid like survivalist skill. Especially toilet water. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so weird that we had two books that they talk about drinking toilet water as a survivalist technique. I will not be trying that. P.S. Again, it's middle grade though. And I thought it's so perfect. Right. Yeah. Hilarious. When I started in on the second book, I wrote my first note I wrote down toilet water in both books. <laughs> <was like> Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Hilarious. Yeah. And we should just mention the other book is called 96 Miles by JL Esplin. So that's what we're going to talk about that too. But that's what we mean by the second book. And it's also in that same toilet water vein. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I loved it though. I really liked that book. I found it online and I was like, oh, I loved her last book. I'm going to read this one. And I loved it too. And I will read the next one. P.S. Stacey McAnulty, when you get yep. this, yep. send it to us and we'll read your next one. <laughs> we will happily read your next one. Yes. And we'll read it on your front yard while we drink our Franzia and cheer you if you would like. That's good too. <laughs> Yes. We got called out a few times. We're going to have to start making some show ups in the front yards now. (laughs) We're going to have to do it. We'll spend our summer traveling around. Touring touring with a whole (laughs) carload of Franzia. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. Should we do the second one? Yeah. Tell me about the second one. All right. Well, the second one, I swear I learned so much. I've always been like a library nerd, but I find everything at the library. I honestly, I find I'm just like looking around. I asked my friendly neighborhood librarian. They know everything. 
they literally know everything. That's all I can say. So this one came out in March of 2020. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> everything. Right, February 2020, but it got caught in the, you know, in the net of everything bad of March of 2020. And it's called 96 Miles by J.L. Esplin. And probably I would consider this one upper middle grade. I would say the other one's probably upper middle grade as well. Don't you think? Yeah, I agree. These are both more upper middle grade. Um, it's pretty intense. It's got a lot of violence for a middle grade book, the um, 96 miles. It's got some pretty heavy themes. It's- I think it's interesting because um, the world ends in April ended with like high intensity, anxiety inducing, right? you know, and then this one <laughs> begins with it. <laughs> right. This one's like intense at the beginning. Woo. I had to like take it in chunks, but me too. I was just going to say that I'm like, I couldn't, I couldn't take it for very long because it was just too much. Again, I'm just waiting for the world to end, apparently. Um, (laughs) So it's getting too close to home. So these boys live in the desert. Now, here's a father I can't stand. (laughs) Oh, really? The father in this book, I was immediately like, what is wrong with you? So these are the Lockwood brothers. John is 13. And I think Stu is like 10 or 11. So their father is going away on business. Again, another missing mother. How very Disney of you. Um, (laughs) We have a dead mother. So these boys are left home alone in the desert. They live in a very remote part of Nevada, Arizona desert in that sort of general direction. And they're like about 100 miles from Vegas, it seems like to me, be that as it may, their father had left them by themselves. Now the neighbors on a nearby farm are about a mile away or two miles away or something like that. And they would ride their bikes up there at night to stay. So they had adult supervision at night, and then they would stay home for a large chunk of time. So um, now we've left these 13 year old and his in charge of his 11 year old brother all by himself on a remote farm in the middle of the desert like a mile or more away from any adult supervision. I am a mother hen. I am not a helicopter mother, but that one I was like, come on, man. What were you like? Really? And he's gone on a business trip. He's not gone for the day. He flew across the country on a business trip. So I had a problem there for one, because I felt that was very irresponsible parenting. And then of course, a massive blackout hits. Okay. Hang on though, before we go too far into this, that is a basic middle grade trope though. It is. Yes. hundred percent. In the author's defense, it's a middle grade trope to get rid of the parents somehow. So the kids do have to do everything on their own. So in that regard, it's pretty standard, but yes, it would have been nice had they figured out a little bit better way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Even if the kids were staying with the neighbors while he was gone and then decided to go back home. And they took off on their own or Yeah, or decided right. to go back home when their dad was supposed to be home and then all of it happened. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. I don't know. I was really uncomfortable. It felt <laughs> right there on the verge of abusive to leave these kids alone in the desert for a couple of days. So anyway, there's a giant blackout and we kind of get the... We kind of assume that it's like a nationwide blackout, like the power grid went down, but they don't know. They don't know what happened because they're in the middle of the desert. When this happens, the neighbor kind of hangs out for a little while, but his wife is very, very pregnant and they can't hang out and take care of these boys. Again, I was like, are you kidding me? Who's leaving these children? But whatevs. So the boys, they all, everybody thinks the boys will be fine because dad is a prepper. So dad's got everything. He's got water. He's got everything that they could possibly need. He's got generator. He's got refrigeration. He's got all the meals and everything like that. Well, of course, the boys are then within a couple of days, the boys are robbed at gunpoint by some very wonderful people. <laughs> what the heck? 
I was like, are you kidding me? That would rob children. Again, again, what is wrong? What is happening in Arizona? So um, the boys are robbed at gunpoint and they have nothing left except for, uh, they took their water, they took everything except for a few outdated supplies that are um, left in their bug out bags. That's the thing that I kept thinking about. I'm like, okay, even if it is like a free for all, everyone for themselves, wouldn't those people have left those kids a little bit of something like one thing of water and one thing of food before right. they t- they took everything? But then again, I mean, I guess the main guy was saying, you know, stick to the plan or whatever. So I'm assuming that maybe their plan was to leave them something. And then it seemed like the other people were just doing whatever they wanted to do. But then they said they were going to shoot them in the head. Oh, yeah, no. I was like, are you kidding? Yeah, I know. I hate people. Anyway. Somehow it did ring true to me, though. Somehow. It did. It really did. You know that there there's people out there who are planning for the effing revolution to come. So oh, you it know, totally was believable. Yeah. yeah you, you know, those would be the same people who'd be like, well, I'm going to get mine. Yep. And this is the one thing that I do have a problem with prepping. Why is it that preppers who have all this stuff always talk about it? <laughs> Tell everyone. Tell everybody. Like, Do you want to know how well prepared I am? Yeah. The first thing that's going to happen if there is a terrible event is people are going to come steal your crap. That's like a military thing. Even they train you. You go into some place, you take what you need. You don't have to take it with you, right? You get what you need when you're there. I mean, that's how we even travel. Like we don't travel heavy. We travel light. And when we get there, we buy what we need, you know, instead of buying it here and carrying it wherever we're going. So you're a prepper is what you're telling me. I'm just just saying like anybody. Oh, anyway. It's logical. It's logical. It's perfectly logical that if somebody wasn't prepared, they're going to take stuff from somebody who's been advertising at work and all over the county. Everybody knew this guy. (laughs) Everybody knew their dad. Everybody knew how well prepared he was. But again, I've known people that maybe not have been like preppers, but have been in of that mindset. And they do. Yeah. They have to tell you how great they are and how much they have and how stupid you are for not having any. Well, now I don't need to have any, John, because I can rob you <laughs> as soon as, what is it called? The S-H-T-F? The stuff hits the fan. That's what they kept calling oh. it in the book. But she's oh. like, that's really not the word. But we'll say the stuff hits the fan because we're in middle school. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> so when that happens, I'll just steal from you, apparently, because then we're all lawless. And here we go. Even if they're not going to steal from you, they're going to come to you and ask for help. I mean, not that that's right. a bad thing either. Of course, you would help people out in a community that you're a part of. But only if I like them. I don't know. <laughs> But I mean, in philosophy, that's a whole thing. Right. Yeah. I took a philosophy class in college. I was like, I don't think this is for me because it was like a whole thing about how if you have a well and there's no water, because of course I went to school in California where water is a huge issue. And what would you do? Would you help people? And of course, everybody in the class was like, no, I wouldn't let anybody have my water because I need to survive. And the teacher was like applauding them all. And I was like, these people are horrible human beings (laughs) because- wouldn't it be better to share that? Because the water is going to run out, right? So right. wouldn't it be better to share it and die with like a community of people around you that you How love? How very Jonestown of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe that's- Well, I mean, he was from Indiana too, so- <laughs> I mean, maybe that's too dark, but otherwise you're just going to die alone. Let's all die together. <laughs> I know, right? It's better oh my God, I'm never drinking Kool-Aid at your house ever again. <laughs> never. <laughs> When you're like, here, I made this. I'll be like, thanks. No, why does it smell like almonds? <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> oh, my God. 
Okay, maybe not. Maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I would rather I'd rather die a good person than a horrible person. Well, yes. If you're gonna die either way, what does it matter? Anyway, that's why I'm telling you, I'm going to donkeys. I'm sitting there with my coffee and I'm going to wait for the big thing to hit me. That's <laughs> it. Because I don't want to live through this crap. I don't want to have to make these decisions. I don't want to have to like kill Debbie, the wild turkey from the woods and eat her for lunch. I just don't. <laughs> I just when I can't go get a hoagie, I just want it to be done. I'm just not that kind of gal. That's who I am. And I'm OK with it. <laughs> OK, <laughs> So anyway, back anyway, to the boys. Back to the These book. boys were far stronger than either of us would ever be because at the ripe old age of 13 and 11, John, who I don't think always makes the best decisions, but he is 13 and I have a 13 year old and I see that's very true to form, not making the best decisions. And uh, we can footnote that with Mother's Day 2021. So we can <laughs> revisit that a little later about bad decisions. Um, he gets Stu to agree to walk the 96 miles. 96 miles through the desert with barely any water that they're going to need to do to get to the Brighton farm, which are their, like, you know, that friends like family kind of thing. And they are sure that the Brightons will help them. Now, 96 miles in the desert, they're going to do this in three days with hardly any water. It's madness. It is absolute madness. And immediately at the beginning, which is a big a critique about the book, which I didn't find this, immediately at the beginning, they meet a brother and sister. Cleverly is the same age. She's also 13. And Will, who's six or seven, he's a little, yeah, he's little a guy. Younger. And they meet them and they have to make the decision whether or not they're going to let them join them or not. And of course, Stu, the younger brother is like, don't be a jerk. Of course, they're going to join us. And then the majority of the whole book takes place with the four of them on this journey. And a lot of people were kind of miffed and they said oh well we kind of were led to believe it was a brother story well whatever it didn't bother me I thought I was like more the merrier let's get a sister in there to keep them you know solid too so I kind of felt like too it became more of a brother story because it contrasted against the other siblings because they were really tight those other siblings were really tight yeah cleverly And and will Yeah. And it gave them somebody to kind of bounce off of like what they were thinking without saying it to each other. And another like older sibling to kind of take that adult role too, you know, so there were two. I thought otherwise, how would they, because if they're not communicating, which is part of their brotherly problem, (laughs) then how would we even know what was going on with either of them unless we were just in their heads if they didn't have somebody else to talk to, you know? So I thought that was good. Yeah. And so it really is sort of this whole journey of trying to get that 96 miles. And the way they do it, there's a couple ways they do it where I'm like, oh, I didn't see that coming. That's Me a nice too. little perk. Yeah. There were ports where I felt like, all right, let's move it on, move it on, move it on. Because the action is so fast that when they would stop to give us a little backstory or something like that, I just wanted to just keep going. I don't want to hear. There was just a little too much detail. I was incredibly thirsty the entire time. Oh my I read gosh. this, like I read a lot of people said that. They're like, watch it, make sure you read it with a drink of water, which is so true. Because it was really accurate descriptions. And, you know, having lived in Turkey and through a few really horrendous summers, it's right on. Like in the desert, like in Turkey, like you get that sand in your throat and you can't get it out. And it just hurts because you just have sand. All you want to do is drink, 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 drink. Because the sand is like 
in your teeth and it's in your throat and it's, uh, it's just gross. <laughs> and it was spot on, you know, that was definitely spot on. That's one of the things too, when you're writing it, just thinking of that as a writer, like you have to constantly be reminding the reader of the setting. If the setting is a big part of the story. Mm-hmm. And it was huge for this. I know. And in like you're saying, it was so much a part of the story that you were thirsty reading it because it's constantly there. And I thought that is really great. That's a great example of how to write a scene like that where you have stuff, you know, where, where the environment is a big part of what's happening. And even like when they're trying to set up tarps to take a break Mm -hmm. and the wind is just whipping at them. It was so right on. You really felt like the author just like went and did a lot of this stuff. Yeah. The descriptions are so, and and unexpected. Like, I don't know what it would be like to try to set up a tarp like that. And just everything was so well done and explained and a great visual. Well, and she lives in the desert, which I think it was pretty evident. Like she, and I think I read somewhere her father was in this was a secret service agent or CIA or something like that. And he always wanted his kids to be prepared. So that's kind of where like this came from. Um, My dad was a farmer. (laughs) 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 And um, I really grow some great tomatoes. End of story. (laughs) He did not teach us how to survive as far as like in the desert, (laughs) but I can scoop poop and I do know how to garden. I have to say though, gardening is a huge survivalist skill to have. And like when I was growing up, we went down to the pantry to get food, not to store a lot. My mom would have rows and rows of canned vegetables in the basement. Yeah. And then and I remember potatoes. we used, like my grandma would come and, or, you know, the aunt, my aunt or uncles or aunt, uncles, wives, whatever would come over and then they would can for like a whole day. Oh, yeah. What everybody ate. Mm-hmm. I remember snapping green beans. We're so rustic, aren't we? Yeah. We're cool. We're hip now. Oh, my God. We're hip. We're artisans. <laughs> I worry sometimes that people are so far removed from the food chain that they wouldn't know how to grow vegetables. It's shocking to me, like when people can't cook. I, I can't even yeah. fathom. And my kids know how to make bread. They know how to like proof yeast. They know how to do all this. And this is like important things to life. And that was what in the book, the father was really all about. Well, these are important yeah. skills you have to have to survive. So I'm going to teach them to you. And it was a good thing he knew them or they wouldn't have survived, you know? I mean, especially all the stuff about the potable water and stuff I thought was so good. Yeah. But if you lived in the desert, water really would be. Like, yeah. And you an would know about skill it. skill to know how to find water and how to clean water and that kind of stuff. And how to drink toilet water. Now I know. We know. I'll never do that. I hope to God, because again, I'll be at donkeys waiting on my coffee when the meteor comes. <laughs> but um, you might be drinking toilet water. I don't know. On the property, we do have a stream. So I guess we have moving water. Hopefully we'll, we can avoid toilet water. <laughs> yeah. We only have bog water. So we definitely would need that. So. <laughs> I liked it. Did you like it? I did. I really did. Now, I guess we should say also, because we do call this out a lot, there were guns in this story. Yeah. Yeah. a bit and they played a pretty big role. But like you said, it was very necessary because unfortunately, because of the time that we've li- been in, especially recently with the insurrection and everything, we've all seen it and all ki- and kids have all seen it. This is exactly the type of person that we saw take over the Capitol in January. These are the exact people in the book that are taking over these children and stealing right. from them. So therefore it wasn't like, oh no, oh. Where, you know, let me clutch my pearls. There's guns. Yes, it's unsettling when he's talking about the gun being pointed at his head, but it is necessary for the story to really get the full, heighten it, you know, to sort of heighten the. Right. And one of the things about that scene is it's right at the beginning. So it does make the beginning of the story pretty intense. 
Well, not right at the beginning, but pretty close to the beginning. Yeah, yeah it wasn't the first, the first quarter. Third. Yeah, but I also think like that would really draw in middle schoolers. Yeah, I think so too. And anybody that plays uh, Call of Duty, like oh, the majority yeah. of middle schoolers in America play Call of Duty right now, would not be at all shocked at anything like that. Not at all. And also that kind of violence, even though it happens towards the beginning of the book, it isn't like the day after the power grid goes out. I mean, there's, no. it's like, there's like weeks of uncertainty happening and sort of building up and people not able to get supplies because the supply chain is interrupted. Yeah. Yeah. So it is pretty far into this event, whatever it is, that things are pretty wonky. So And it does devastate these boys, not just the act itself of being robbed, but the gun, the way she handles it makes it work out for me. Okay. Yeah, it really traumatized. Yes, those those boys are traumatized again and again when they recall what happened and the fact that somebody did that to them, even though it was his father's gun. He tried to use it on the, you know, to protect them, their property first. You know, I, I think it's, it's handled well. It's in no way is it gratuitous. Or is it glorified or, at all? No, yeah, not no, at all. No, no, no. And I think it's a realistic fact of life when you live in a very, very remote desert like that. I think that's just what people do. I don't know. I would never live in the remote desert. I'm fat and don't like heat. So there's that. And I'm pale. I'm fat and pale and I'm not a fan of hot things. So (laughs) (laughs) thus I live in New England. (laughs) (laughs) The opposite. (laughs) Right. The absolute opposite. But but I liked it. I think it was a good book. I also want to say I alter sometimes if I find it and I have time and stuff, I'll alternate and I'll both read the book and kind of do a little bit of audiobook and also read it at the same time because sometimes I like the audiobook because I can listen while I'm making dinner or while I'm out walking or whatever. Ever. And this audiobook, if you get the opportunity to get it on audiobook, get it because mm-hmm. it's really fun. It's, really it's a kid or the guy that it's a very young man or young guy that's reading it. So it really works so well. And his voice was perfect for this. And I think that the audio version is super, super strong because of the casting. The casting was spot on. And he makes you really feel like, oh, yeah, this is John. This is definitely what he would sound like. And it's easy, it's easy to listen to because you're like, it's like you're it's all in the first person. So mm-hmm. you kind of li- like literally listen to this kid tell you his what actually happened to him. So it's fun. I like it that way. Right. And this is a true like apocalyptic kind of story too. Yeah. Yeah, where something bad has happened. So all the prepping that they have done prior to this actually pays off and they get to use all their skills. And even though their prepping supplies are taken from them, they can use the skills that they were taught to, you know, survive. Next time, Steve, when you prep, keep your mouth shut. That's all you need to know. (laughs) If you take away nothing from us today, just learn that if you're going to prep, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we've learned. (laughs) Yes. Oh, all right. Two good ones. Again, Yeah. not bad. They approached the topic in two very different ways, which I thought was kind of interesting and fun because one assumes that it's not, you know, has the approach of it not being real and it's all fake. And then the other one is the approach of, yes, it actually happened and this is how you survive. But they both shared like similar survivalist skills and And things like that. So you kind of get the same experience that way. It's a great pairing. 
I think yeah. that like if you're going to use them for if you were studying, you know, and either one of them could also pair really well with Hatchet if you wanted a, a Gary Paulson's Hatchet, if you wanted a classic book. But sometimes it's great when you're like for homeschool unit or for, you know, a, a larger unit, you want to divide it up and have half the class read one version and half the class read another version of the same sort of variations on a theme these are two great books to pair together that's a really really great great way to do it yeah yeah and I would say that I would give my stronger readers 96 miles because it is a little more dense the vocabulary I think is a little harder the sentences are bigger I would say that the overall reading levels is smidge higher than the world ends in April most sixth graders read hatchet too so that would be great to kind of say oh you liked hatchet here's two other great ones that you might like too yep exactly all right perfect well we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with our pick six and pick six this time is filled with some summer reading ideas that you can help your kiddos add to their summer reading list summer loving happened so fast (laughs) oh sorry summer reading had me a blast (laughs) (laughs) and we'll be back All right. Well, for today's pick six, we're going to give our top six summer reads in six different categories. Oh, that's a lot of sixes. We've kind of chosen our top six categories and we're going to give you a new book from each one. So Heather, start us off. So I have three and Margie has three. Okay. So my first category, can you guess what it would be? I don't know. I never would guess. (laughs) Nerd books. My first genre is historical fiction. And nice. uh, speaking of Gary Paulson. That's weird. Hatchet, How weird is that? That's I know. timely. <laughs> I am going to recommend that if you have a kiddo who loves historical fiction, historic, hysterical fiction. Historical. I love hysterical <laughs> fiction, but that's called humor. <laughs> historical fiction. Um, Gone to the Woods, Surviving a Lost Childhood. And that's by Gary Paulson. And that was released in January of this year. So I know I've mentioned him lots before on the podcast. I mean, Hatchet, Donks, Dog Song. <laughs> Don't. Hatchet does donk song. HBO After Dark. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> well, the dongs I've loved before. <laughs> oh, oh God. Uh, uh, this, is, this goes on the outtake reel on Patreon. <laughs> oh my God. I needed a good laugh. That was awesome. Okay. <sighs> All right, dong her. The donger needs food. <laughs> should I start again? You should. <laughs> I gotta say it again. Okay, wait. I won't look. Oh. <sighs> Okay. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> Hatchet, 
Dog Song, The Winter Room, Woods Runner, Lawn Boy. I could go on. I've read so many of his books and they're all great boy books, although I am a girl and I love them too. So there you go. But Gone to the Woods, Surviving a Lost Childhood by Gary Paulson is his, that's his newest book. And this book is autobiographical and it covers key moments in his childhood with a starkness that I really I appreciate it. It's fiction though, right? It is fiction. Okay. But it is like key moments. Based on his story. Okay. And yeah, so it's not like in the autobiography category, but it is autobiographical. Um, And I mean, his writing, the reason people love it is because it's very like stark to the point. It doesn't give a lot of opinion or emotion about what's happening. It just tells the story as it is. And that's exactly how this book is. And I think that's why middle schoolers love him too, because he covers difficult topics without sugarcoating them. And this book, uh, Gone to the Woods, is broken up into five parts. There's the farm, the river, the ship, 13, and soldier. And it starts in 1944. Oh, that's your zone, girl. I know, I know. I love it so much. Oh my gosh, in the beginning of this book is so good. Okay, so it starts when the main character is five years old and he's living, it's like this crazy story and the fact that it's based in reality just is crazy. His dad is off to war. His mom is a single woman from a farm in Minnesota, or well, single, no, a single mom at this point because her husband's gone to war, um, who's from a farm in Minnesota who gets a job in Chicago, making more money than she's ever made before and never lived in the city before and gets totally sucked in to the party life. She spends all of her free time in bars and takes him along to sing like on... (laughs) The bars, like his little cute little songs. He's only five years old. And it just is like debauchery, right? And so the grandmother finds out about this, sends a letter to the mother and says, you have to send the boy to Minnesota to live with family on the farms there. So he gets on a train filled with soldiers who are injured. It's basically like a moving hospital. So you're getting like right away, you're getting sucked into this time period and what's happening. And just like the reality of war, the contrast between what they're seeing in the papers of just Mm -hmm. like, you know, like maybe a scratch or a dead body that looks perfectly normal. And then here you have all these soldiers with like missing limbs and oozing wounds and all this kind of stuff. But it's not gruesome or gross. I don't know. It's hard to describe because Gary Paulson just is very matter of fact about it. So it's really pretty. It's amazing, but it would just suck any kid in like at the very beginning. Kids love that stuff too. Oh yeah. That gore, you know? Yeah. So you get the good, the bad, the ugly. So it starts with 1944. Um, he's sent to live on, in Minnesota and then it goes all the way through to when he's a soldier at the very end and decides what kind of life he wants to live. So even though you have sort of this spanning the life of this person, it still feels very like a middle grade coming of age story uh-huh. because it's all the things that middle graders are dealing with. It's basically the good and the bad, the ugly of war and life. All of that is in here. Uh, One of the cool things that was really fun, though, is that the main character discovers books and the library through a great librarian. So that was sort of one of the highlights of the story. This book is definitely upper middle grade. Is it Okay. It's not YA though. I have seen some reviewers said they might put it more for YA, but I definitely think like eighth graders and ninth graders, it would be totally fine for them because it's very straightforward tone, but some of the topics are very adult. There's alcoholism yeah. and war and a lot of things that are much more adult, but I still think 
think though, like for seventh, eighth, ninth grade, it's it's a good read for sure. Cool. So anyway, that's my first pick. It's a little, maybe a little heavy, but I just thought it was so well done. My second pick is a mystery novel. And this is The Parker Inheritance by Varian Johnson. And this was released in March of 2018. So this one's been out for a little bit longer and it's received several honors already, including the Coretta Scott King Award. But I wanted to highlight this just in case people missed it because it's a fantastic mystery story that grabs you right from the first chapter where we learn about Abigail who has authorized this excavation of a local park for something. We don't know exactly what it is, some kind of treasure though, that she learned about in this mysterious letter that she received. And the operation is covert. So it's kind of happening at night. So we know something is up, right? She's doing this like she's risking her reputation and her career to do this digging up whatever it is she's searching for. And at the end of this very short first chapter, we know she didn't find what she was looking for and she has to leave town in disgrace. And then the story picks up with Abigail's granddaughter, Candace, who's middle grade age. And the mystery begins again because she finds the same letter in an old attic in South Carolina. And so with the help of the shy neighbor boy, of course, we love the shy neighbor boy. Always. Yes, always. (laughs) His name's Brandon. Uh, The two of them dig into this and it kind of exposes like an ugly history of the town and old stories and family histories as they're searching for this secret fortune. I just love this book because it's so interesting how it came together because it's like a fun, lighthearted, like mystery, fun puzzle to solve. But it's also like this socially conscious book that really is direct about like race in America and the effects of like past bad things that have happened and how they can affect the present. Just how he managed, Varian Johnson managed to do all that while keeping it like casual from middle grade. It was so impressive because a lot of books that sort of confront racism and the history of racism are really more for like YA. Right. And they get really heavy really fast. Right. But somehow he managed to do this and it's a great fun read, but it also talks about these really important issues. I am always a fan of the Coretta Scott King Award winners. They are always good choices. Always. So that says a lot to me. That says a lot about this book. Yeah. And it, it's a fun read too. I mean, it sucked me in like the first chapter. I was just like, oh, here we go. This is so exciting. Like I could just picture this like sweet little lady sitting on a park bench in the middle of the night while they're digging up stuff. You're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? It was just really cool. Cool. And then my last pick for my pick six is it's an adventure novel. It's a series actually. So there's two books, The Mutant Mushroom Takeover. I so want to read this. (laughs) I think this sounds fab. Yeah. And Attack of the Killer Komodos. And both of these are by summer Rachel short. The first book came out just last year in 2020. And the second book actually isn't out yet. So I know for summer reads because it's coming out in September of 2021. So this might have to be like a summer read and then a back to school gift or something. You can get the first book Christmas gift. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. The second book in buy it in September. I force my children to read over holiday breaks. Oh yeah. I was thinking about like reading over the summer, how important that is to you. I always used to bribe my son to at least read one book over the summer. Yeah. (laughs) Because you want their little brains to keep staying engaged. I mean, hopefully most people have bookish kiddos who listen to this podcast. They don't have to bribe them. But I'm recommending these books because, you know, I know my first two books were a little bit more serious. These are like totally uncomplicated, raw looking adventure stories, like just fun. I need one of those. (laughs) Yeah. So these are the Maggie and Nate mysteries. So you have the same main characters in both books. The first book is a fun adventure about Maggie, who's trying to win a 
this naturalist prize that's worth a lot of money because her dad had to leave the state for a job. And so she and her brother are living with her grandmother and he she's really wants to get her family back together. So she's trying to win this prize. And her best friend, Nate, I just love this kid. He's like this goofy, funny, budding YouTube star. <laughs> he's really into like Bigfoot and all those kind of, mo- you know, like that seems to be a huge thing in middle I grade. I love now. that. Yeah. You I know, know. cryptozoology is a massive thing in middle grade right now. Yeah. And he has like this goofy YouTube channel where he's trying to prove these things are true. And I like it because Maggie's a little bit more serious and he's sort of a goofball that is really makes it fun. So they team up when this creepy glowing mushrooms take over their home. <laughs> I think you've got a moisture problem. <laughs> Yeah, the mutant mushroom. So that's the the first book. And it's just, like I said, it's very uncomplicated. There are some dynamics happening with the family issues, but really there's no family drama. There's no bullies. There's no, it's just like fun. It's a light fun. We need more of those. I know. As a whole, I think middle grade needs more of those. Everybody's got a message to deliver, which is always good. But even like, even us, I'm like, oh, I need need something light and funny and I need to not have to feel so much for a little while. And I feel like the kids have got to feel that too. I agree. And especially like over the summer, it's fun to read a mindless book. Like we all have our mindless beach reads, right? Oh yeah, of course. Smut. (laughs) My mother is like the queen of smut. She reads all those Danielle Steeles. I personally like a good murder. That's who I am. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd rather read murder mysteries, but or murder mysteries with romance. Those are always fun. No, no, I don't need any (laughs) romance. Forget that madness. So in the second book, which like I said, isn't out yet, I did receive an advanced copy of this book. So I got to read it already. In the second book, it's the attack of the killer Komodos. And it's hilarious. So the family is traveling to Yellowstone to because that's where the dad ended up getting a job. So Maggie and her brother and their grandmother. And then of course, Nate tags along for the trip. And this time, um, Maggie and Nate discover Komodo dragons in Yellowstone Park, <laughs> which is totally crazy and over the top. And I just love it. And then an earthquake happens and they get separated from Maggie's dad and grandma, which this is kind of cool because then like, again, some of these sort of survivalist things have to kick in because they're on their own and they have their backpacks. They've been camping. And so they do have some supplies. And so that's kind of cool. Like I said, just no heavy drama, just over the top, like fun, exciting stuff. And I definitely think these are good for like uh, over the summer read or like I said, the second book comes out in September. It could be one of those, like when kids have to read for 15 minutes every day, you know, the teachers require that. I think this would just be a good one because it's not heavy like their normal reading would be at school. It's just a fun thing to read. And you have to remember that any book that they're reading, anything that they're reading is helping with fluency and familiarization and phrasing and decoding and all of that stuff is any reading is good reading. That's what we always used to say. I agree. And even like if you get it on the audible or an audio version, even that is you're still Yep, you're still firing neurons and that's what we want. 100%. Awesome. Well, I took my pick six. My first one is realistic fiction because you don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, um, I found this book. It's a, it's a great book. It just got released this month. So it's hot off the presses and it's called thanks a lot universe by Chad Lucas. It's a own voices 
story. And it is about Brian, who is a really anxious kid. And he begins to have panic attacks when he ends up in foster care with his brother. Ezra is his friend and basketball teammate. And Ezra has always been kind of the popular guy where Brian has not. And Ezra notices something is going on with Brian and he wants to help. But he also is afraid that if he's too nice, Brian's going to realize that he actually has a big crush on him. And when Brian and his brother run away from their foster home, Ezra is the only guy that can help. And he and Brian both soon realized that they need to take risks and they need to share parts of themselves with other people. And that's the only way they're going to become who they really are. And I'm really psyched to read that book. Like I said, it's hot off the presses. So they're foster brothers. Is that what you're saying? Brian and his brother are biological brothers and they get put in foster care. Ezra is the other main character and he is a friend to Brian who also has a crush on Brian. Okay. I think it's so important that we are looking at gay and trans and queer characters in middle grade. I think that it is so incredibly important that kids that are questioning, they're nervous, they don't know, and they all are, trust me, 20 years of middle school girl, I have had more questioning kids come across my classroom and than any anywhere in my whole life. And they just need to see that somebody else feels that way. Mm-hmm. And to be able to do that through the pages of a book in the privacy of your own room without taking the risk of voicing the thoughts that you're feeling and getting that validation or confirmation is imperative. It is imperative. I also think it's important for kids who maybe identify as straight too to read these books just because yeah. it helps them be more sensitive to their peers. Yeah. And to understand that if you feel like you're a straight kid and like Harvey across the hallway feels like he's gay. You're feeling the exact same things. You both have the the same crushes and the same, you know, sweaty palms. That's the same thing. The only difference is whether the person you're crushing on is the same sex or different. So I think it's really great. I'm so impressed. I just want to promote all of these books as they come out. If they come across my desk, I want to make sure that people know they're out there. And there's a lot coming out. It's really awesome. There's a lot of gender non-conforming main characters. There's queer characters. There's trans characters. There's um, gay characters. And, you know, it's all coming down the pike at a nice rapid rate of speed. And I think it's really, really, really important. Really important because those kids need confirmation that they're okay. Everybody deserves that. And it's been a really long time since gay kids have ever gotten that. Anywho, some of my boys' favorite aunties and uncles are gay. So that's why it's important for us. My next one, uh, this is exciting. This is sci-fi. And this literally came out last week, hot off the presses. It's called The Last Gate of the Emperor by Kawami Mambalia. And if you remember, Kawami Mambalia is the Tristan Strong book. So Tristan Strong punches a hole in the sky. Those are the Afro-Creole myths out of the Rick Riordan line of books. So he wrote those. So he's got a good history. And Prince Joel McConan, who is actually an Egyptian prince. I'm going to need more information on that. I tried to dig some more up and it's so fresh off the presses that I'm not getting a lot. But this is an Afro-futurist adventure, which... Hello, you got me right there. I'm in because that sounds fabulous. It takes place in a mythical Ethiopian empire. Yared Haywat is the main character and he lives in an isolated life in a city called Addis Prime. And A-D-D-I-S, not at his, like at his <laughs> prime. Um, it's a rundown, sort of broken down city with rundown tech and lots of rules and not much to do. Typical sort of dystopian hellhole, you know. Um, and his only family, this is my favorite part so far, his only family is uh, his uncle Modi and his bionic lioness, Bessa. <laughs> and I'm like, where can I get one? <laughs> 
does it come from Amazon? And I'll take it now, please. Where is my bionic lioness? I'm going to need her. I feel like I could use her so many ways for so many things. Um, and she could be my BFF too when you're not available. It's nice. It'll be good. She could protect you from the turkeys right. and the snakes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it is a star player of an underground augmented reality game called The Hunt for Caleb's Obelisk. And something kind of went awry and there, there was a change in rules and he had to log in as himself. And that revealed who he was. That login then triggered an attack and Uncle Modi disappears. Oh no. So throughout childhood, which is, I love this sort of trope that, you know, like, Throughout childhood, his uncle's been telling him about these kingdoms in the skies and these massive city-destroying monsters and all these horrible things. And now suddenly they're real. And Yared is in the middle of it all. And now become all up to him and Bessa, the biotic lion. I just love that so much. Um, it's up to them to find his uncle in the middle of a war that's taken over the entire galaxy. Sounds absolutely phenomenal. Sounds phenomenal. Again, the idea that we're looking at a sci-fi world that takes place in a mythological Ethiopian empire with so cool. a main character who is an Ethiopian character. I mean, hello. I'm so all in. I am all in. I am so excited for this sort of fresh new voice, this fresh new take on things. And especially sci-fi, you know, like, I don't know. It sounds very Black Panther to me. It just makes me think of like Wakanda and I want to yeah. go there. And I, I love everything Wakanda. I love everything Black Panther. Everything about it was one of the greatest movies known to man. So I'm all in. And if you follow Kwame Mavalia on Twitter or anything there, he's really funny. He's kind of cool dude. So I like that. We could put him on our list. He might, he might make the Francia list someday. He okay. might get there. Hold out, buddy. And the last one is humor. Because of course I have to have humor as a category. And that's again, something every kid needs just to laugh their butt off in the summer. And I've been trying to make you read this book for so long. And it's called My Life as a Potato <laughs> by Ariane. Costner. Ben Hardy is the main character and he's just moved to Idaho and he's really mad and he's not happy about it because he thinks the potatoes are out to get him. Hello. What's not to love right there? You had me a potato. Uh, but now he's stuck in a school in Idaho where the, the mascot is Steve the Spot. I love it. So to confirm his spudspicions, eh? see what I did there? Spudspicions that the potatoes are out to get him. Ben actually does something stupid that causes the school mascot to accidentally sprain his ankle. And the only thing Ben can do to kind of rectify the situation is to become the mascot. Of and course. he has to don the mascot and become Steve the Spud for the, the big game. But the only glitch is he's also the new kid and he knows that if anybody figures out that he's the big brown potato, then his hopes of fitting in are mashed. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Oh, Those yeah, are right. like bad dad jokes. I know, right? Awesome. <laughs> I think it's awesome. So that's my life as a potato. It just came out in paperback. It came out in 2019, I believe, but it just came out in paperback in the last couple months. So those are all hot ones, hot off the press, but definitely, I mean, I got to tell you that the last gate of the empire, ooh, that sounds fabulous. So those are my summer reading picks. We got you covered. Yeah, we do. So what's up for the next episode? Because you know, I have no idea what it is. I know because we have a <laughs> spreadsheet, which you refuse to look at. We have a spreadsheet. <laughs> we have a data sheet <laughs> updated regularly, but Heather decides that it's just not worth it for her to look at it. <laughs> so for our next episode, we're going to look at something close to my heart, which makes my house very entertaining on the reg. And that's immigration tales. 
<laughs> so, but instead of a crazy Turk is the immigrant and which is what someday when I write my love life story, that's, and my love story, unfortunately, they're both in there. Um, that's what my main character is going to be. We're going to look at books that feature kids that have their own immigration tales to tell. Aww. I know, right? So we're looking at The Boy at the Back of the Class by Anjali Q. Rolf and One Good Thing About America by Ruth Friedman. As well as, did you have one too? See, again, people of earth, she doesn't even look at the, the scripts when I write out what we're going to talk about. And I leave a blank that says, and fill in here. And she doesn't do that either. I'm alone. I'm alone on this island. And to be determined. <laughs> because Heather's got to find her book. But I'm excited because, you know, you know how I feel about immigration. I, I love know. it. My favorite books, my favorite topic, because there's nothing funnier than kids making fun of their crazy immigrant parents. Yeah, I've been thinking about this so much because of Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. I've been thinking about this so much because of stand up Yumi Chung. I know, I right? I just love, that's one of my very favorite stories. And so I've been thinking about her a lot this month. It's so funny because I was filling out forms for my son to go to school, you know, and my older son has got, he's going to a charter school next year to get him into high school. And I was filling out the forms today and it's so weird. You know, like his birth certificate is not in English. I'm reading his birth certificate, really reading it for the first time. And I'm like, these, this is like the most morbid thing. It's like, you have given birth to a live baby boy. That's basically what it says in oh Turkish on um, this day at this time. It doesn't say how much he weighed. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't say his name, just nothing. And then I had to like dig through and find, you know, his papers when he became American and blah, 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 blah. And I don't even have a translation. I, I realized that this poor kid is 13 years old and I have never tra- made a translation of this birth certificate everywhere we go I just hand them this birth certificate like will you figure it out girl I, I guess they must have the poor kid's been to like seven different schools they've always figured it out nobody's questioning <laughs> nobody everybody's like I don't know I guess that must be him right they okay. probably just need a copy and file so they're like yep that'll do right I don't think anybody's <laughs> ever read it because I hello I just read it after 13 years I'm like oh well that's depressing so but it's <laughs> It's funny because, you know, you're filling out all these paperwork and there was a large chunk on there that it was like, what languages did he speak first? Which language did, is used at the home? Which language is used with his grandparents? Does he have a second language? Does he use it seldom, often, daily, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is refreshing. That is so wonderful that a school is asking me these things and not assuming automatically that only English is spoken in the home. So it was nice. It was really, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And because ironically, when we first moved back to the US, they put him in ESL classes. And I was like, but, but, but. like, why is he in ESL classes? And they're like, well, he wasn't born in America. And I'm like, mm, but he speaks English. Have you talked to him? <laughs> so they didn't even bother asking if he spoke English? They tested him in everything to make sure that he was, you know, capable of, and they just automatically put him in. ESL because yeah, he has a foreign name and a foreign father and a foreign birth certificate. And I'm like, but he has an American mother who was an English teacher. (laughs) Am I nothing? Really? (laughs) So, so yeah, anyway, we're going to look at immigration because it's going to be fun and it's going to be awesome. And I think immigration tales are important as all get out in this world. All right. So I guess that's a wrap for our prepper episode, at least. (laughs) If you like what you've heard, leave us a review and share us with your friends so more people can find us. That would be really If your review is bad, you're not getting on our Franzia list. No. Just FYI. But if you leave us a nice review, we'll have a glass of wine waiting for you. Right. Right (laughs) out of the box. (laughs) 
<laughs> and if you want to join us twice a month for Kidlet discussions, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts. We'll be there. And if you want to find out what's happening in our world, you can follow us on Two Lit Mamas Podcast on Instagram, where all the fun pictures are. And you can see pictures of my kids and I frolicking about, or Heather's dog. Heather does let me put pictures of her dog <laughs> on there because Heather's in the Witness Protection Program, just in case you didn't know. Um, or you can find us on Two Lit Mamas on Facebook. And of course, on our website, www.twolitmamas.com. That's right. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.